Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me over in California is Sai. Hi. And over in you're in the Netherlands, right? I am. I am. Uh, I'm in Amsterdam. Is uh, Mark Rendatza. Hi. And I'm actually broadcasting from a brothel in Amsterdam right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually in London. So uh, we're doing a very special episode today. Uh, we have Mike on. Uh, Mike is uh, representing the LCS currently in... Um, uh, Mark. Mark. Mark, sorry. Mark. Mark is currently representing the LCS uh, for an amicus brief that we filed in Paramount versus Axonar. And um, I want to jump... And Mark doesn't have a lot of time, so I want to jump to you, actually. Can you actually explain, first of all, all what this case is about and what our role is in it? All right. Well, in most cases, uh, what you have is you have a plaintiff and a defendant, and those two parties are what's called adversaries. So in the adversary system, the two of them slug it out, and at the end, the, uh, the judge or the jury makes a decision. But there are ways that third parties can get involved in lawsuits. Now, there's one way you can do, which is a motion to intervene, but that means that you have an actual material interest in the outcome. That didn't exactly fit for us. Uh, so what did fit was to file an amicus brief. And an amicus, amicus just means friend uh, in Latin. And so we file a friend of the court brief. In other words, saying we have something interesting to say that we think will assist the court in making its decision about an issue – so we seek leave for that. And that's what we did here. And we, we did that on a very narrow issue in the case because uh, we're really not taking a position on the – can you still hear me? They're not really taking a position when it comes to the underlying lawsuit. We are taking a position only on whether copyright law will protect or, or, or will in any way protect, protect or, or restrict, restrict others, others from using – the created language Klingon. Okay. And naturally, and naturally we're taking the position, no way, Jose. Right. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we have asked the court for the right to, uh, to participate, which the court is not obliged to grant. Um, in fact, it, but, it, but at this point, I almost don't mind one way or the other strategically if they do. Of course, the, the best possible outcome would be that, that they would accept the brief and that the brief would be persuasive on this issue. But remember, it's it's probably not going to change the outcome of the case. If I had to handicap this case, I would say Paramount is uh, Paramount is, is probably somewhere around 45 to 1 odds to win, um, unless there's something really screwy about the rest of the facts that I haven't delved into. And, and honestly... I haven't. I, I don't have the time to dig into every single uh, nook and cranny of this. It took a lot of time to write the brief that we have. Yes. So uh, just just to break in here, uh, we – so I'm, I'm saying this I, as vice president of the LCS. We as, as the LCS, uh, not separate, separate from Con Langery, um, is, um, is only concerned about the claims about – Klingon, um, the Klingon language. Correct. So, um, and so, like you're you're talking about 
whether Paramount will win the whole case, but that's we're not really worried about all the rest of that stuff. Correct. Right? I mean, we're we're not we're not in a place to do that. Um, and there may be other, you know, there one we're not in a place to do that. But two, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Paramount has decided to, to double down on this issue because you know what I found interesting about the case and the reason that I was, uh, you know, I, I, I yelled a resounding yes when I was asked to do this is interested in the intersection of intellectual property law and free expression. Um, I'm very interested in fair use issues. Uh, you know, I'm very interested in the limitation of intellectual property rights. Because if you take it to its furthest extent, I mean, you look at some people who've commented on this case so far, and I, you know, and I tell, I've told all of you guys, don't just don't read the comments; they're never a good place. But I know it's <laughs> I know it's irresistible, and and, uh, and there's I have seen some people who have things to say, like, well, Paramount created it, so why shouldn't they uh, benefit from the labor, you know, from their labor? And that is a very maximalist way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it is, uh, you know, you can think about uh, how many Disney movies would not exist if they hadn't built on the uh, shoulders of, of fireworks. Uh, you know, how, how many of those movies are actually original or are they old stories? And really, that is how culture usually develops. I feel like modern copyright law has uh, put quite, kind of a stick in the gears there. Right. But this is a really unique and, you know, and, and I'm all in favor of, of beating the hell out of somebody who actually infringes on copyright. But I just think that the determination of what is protected should be more narrow. Now, if somebody makes use of an element like this, you know, if they were taking lines of dialogue out of a Star Trek movie, even, even in Klingon, then I would see that there's a copyright problem. You can't just rip off portions and you can rip off a little bit of it to quote somebody but, you know, this is a whole new situation. You've actually got a created language that took off like crazy. I mean, how many people actually speak this language? I'm not sure. But I do know that there are people who, you know, there's at least one guy who raised his kid to speak it. It seems like every time you do a Google search, you find another couple that decided to get married in Klingon. And I, I, I just, there are three minutes of my life that I will never get back that I just spent watching... Uh, a parody of Gangnam Style in Klingon <laughs> called Klingon Style. You're and, welcome, and Mark. I, I am now going to wake up in the middle of the night. I have that stuck in my head. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a, there's a... I'm never going to get it out either. It's like, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago, I was a deckhand on a boat in Alaska, and the guy next to me sang... All she wants is another baby all summer long on the deck of the boat and it never got out. But he worked for months to get that mm -hmm. in there. You just achieved what he achieved in months with one link to a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. You are very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> yeah. So um, if only that were submitted to the court. Uh, so, Sai, I think maybe you can help us out and get us a little bit of background. And I think uh, Mark, you're gonna be uh, heading out on us in a little in in just a few minutes, right? Yeah, but I'm sorry. I just I've I made some commitments. I'm I'm actually been uh, visiting a client every 24 hours for the past 10 days all across okay. Europe. Yeah. So um. So uh. Yeah. Um. We'll you. 
you you just drop out whenever you need need to. Um, but Sai, uh, why don't you um, uh, talk to us um, a little bit about the background? Um, we're trying to get uh, Christoph Grancier Kluvitz on on here. We'll see if we can get uh, him on the line. But Sai, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the background? You know, historically, what how um, the LCS has come to the position that it has and uh, sort of where this debate comes from. Sure. So um, it's been kind of an issue on the list for years and years and years where people have been talking about, well, to what extent can you copyright a language? To what extent does copyright or maybe patent even apply uh, to a conlang or to scripts that you wrote in a conlang, what can you do about it if someone says, oh, they wrote your language and they just, like, repost it? Um, and also just sort of geeking out about the hypothetical, because realistically speaking, it's only very, very recently that it's an IP law issue as such, um, because only recently have we had professional conlanging like with David um, and Dothraki. Um, so it's more of a question of, you know, how, how would this play out in theory? Um, and the thing is, except for this one case with Loglon and Lojbon, there's not a whole lot of case law. So it's mostly theoretical. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. It's it's a and, and I think, you know, one thing I, I just as the law nerd in the room. Uh, well, I know I know I'm not the only one, but I'm the only I think <laughs> you are by far the prettiest lawyer. <laughs> I would say that Mar- Mar- Mark is the is the lawyer here. Size a little bit of a no- law uh, nerd. He right? knows his stuff. I'll tell you that. But the um, the issue here, I, I like here. to look at the, the at the difference. You know, I, I've been debating whether or not this is different uh, if it's any conlang or if it's just Klingon. And I've I've really personally I've only uh, examined it from the standpoint of the case that we are in because it might be if we dig a little deeper, I might agree that. A conlang uh, can be copyrighted, but this one, if anything, has completely broken the bounds of copyright because when there are people engaging in – they're taking it and using it more as a process than as a work, I think that's something new. But that's something new in a way that it has never really been confronted in the law before. That's the really fun part about the common law. You know, I had a discussion <laughs> about this at a, at, with, a, with a, a lawyer in Paris, and he's, he's saying, well, but does it fit the code or not? And I'm like, no, that's the great thing about common law is it's, it's made from the ground up. Uh, it, it can be – we can have this kind of a theoretical argument, and the judge is going to just – you know, in some way, pull it out of thin air if he has to. Was this a uh, lawyer in Paris used to civil law? Yes. So he, uh, he's, I would do it. You know, and he he said, "This is what I love about American lawyers. You guys are all so creative because of this common law influence." And I said, oh, "I hadn't thought of it that way, but um, yeah, this is not even conceivable to them." 
it might be worth uh, mentioning to the audience the difference between common law and civil law. It's common, complicated, but the simple version is in common law countries, which is basically the UK and everything the UK used to own or currently owns, including the US. Uh, courts make common law by rendering decisions which have precedential value and other courts sort of abide by those decisions as well as what the statute law or the regulations say, whereas in uh, civil law countries, which is basically all the rest of the world and also Louisiana for some, for because they're from the French, um, it's not, <laughs> and Quebec, right? Um, they're, uh, the civil law countries, they're not so much based on judicial precedent as just trying to interpret the statute um, more directly. Mark, you, you can feel free to correct me if that thumbnail summary was that inaccurate, but that's my Yeah. Um, before we get in, um, uh, I think we've gotten uh, Christophe onto the line. So, Christophe, you can say hi. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Can you hear me now? Perfectly. Yeah, we can hear oh, you. Fantastic. Yay. Okay, so we got Christoph in. I think Mike's Mike Mark is almost uh, almost ready to go. But um, so yeah, that's 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 the interesting thing, and a part of what the LCS is trying to do here um, is use this case, uh, you know, get involved in this case in order to sort of set that precedent because the position of the LCS has been uh, based on consultation with um, Denton's is that you can't really copyright a conlang. You can copyright... Right. Hmm? So... Uh, you can copyright um, works that are written in the conlang and you can copyright grammar materials and dictionaries, but the language itself, we don't think you can really uh, copyright. Is that uh, an accurate... Exactly. Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, um, I approached uh, a friend of mine who works for Denton's and also has done um, pro bono legal work for me as, uh, before um, to see if we could maybe get um, a formal legal memorandum to try to clarify these issues that have been going around in the community for years. Um and he works for Denton's. Um, well, worked. He recently left. Um, but and he said, "Yeah." Um, so we got this nice uh, formal memorandum, uh, which is on our, on the Conline website, uh, and I presented it at the Sixth Language Creation Conference. And it goes into point by point copyright, trademark, uh, patent, and sort of ancillary things like moral rights, which don't really exist in the U.S. outside of this one statute, which doesn't really apply, um, and sort of a couple semi-related things, like right of publicity. So they, they just sort of laid out what is the precedent, what what can we see from what we have. And then from that, it's we have this case presented where Christoph noticed that um, Paramount is claiming that they own the entire language of Klingon. Uh, so I got in touch with Mark because uh, I figured this might be up his alley. Um, and um, yeah, to see um, if we could influence. And Mark, I think you that. said you had an, uh, a hard out at um, at uh, eight thirty your time, right? So um, 
um, do you have any last words you want to share before you leave? Hmm? Which is in a minute. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I can, I can, I can hit snooze here for a few minutes if you want. If you, uh, I'm not going to leave you high and dry here. So, uh, yeah, I'm. You know, the only thing I am, you know, the thought I have on this, just from a legal theory point of view, is that it seems like the better the conlang, the less copyrightable it would be. <laughs> you know, if if you did a really crappy job of one, let's say one that had only ten words. You know, and and one tense, and and you didn't really you didn't really do all the homework. It would seem to be more copyrightable, but one that is more functional and more able to function, right, uh, would would seem to be more of a process, and thus not protected by copyright. And that's because of that utility creativity division. Yeah, and the, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating issue because it's it's like. In what other universe would we have this as an issue, right? Uh, you know, when it was, uh, I mean, even I'd say it come, what comes to mind is Anthony Burgess's use of NADSAT in A Clockwork Orange. Right? But that's not really uh, a conlang. I mean, that's, uh, the, there's a glossary of, what, a few hundred words at the end of A Clockwork Orange. And, you know, everybody that reads the book eventually gets to learn it. And how many times do you hear people, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's my group of friends. We still tend to use uh, clockwork orange NADSAT words from time to time. And if you know Russian, it's a pastiche. pastiche. Yeah, or, or George Orwell's, uh, you know, George Orwell's uh, Newspeak. You know, Newspeak is not really a full conlang, but you can say double plus good or double plus ungood to somebody. And they immediately know not only what you mean at the time, but, you know, how, what cultural baggage comes from what you're saying. So in this situation, it's just, it's completely, you know, it is, it is the power of the lunatic nerd here that has unleashed, uh, I feel like a, it's just unleashed something that even if you could bound a conlang in copyright law, I think Klingon is, is something of its own. And, and I don't, you know, and and what theory do I write? Do I lay that on? Let's say it was copyrightable. How can copyright be broken simply by people using something in a way that no one ever expected they would? Uh, there is no theoretical background for it. It is a, it is the complete vacuum of uncharted space, and that's where you know size exactly right. Would this be up my alley? Like no good answer in between two Goliaths, and and you know you, you might get laughed laughed out of court uh, completely. Sounds perfect to me. And it's a First Amendment issue, and it's a matter of first impression. <laughs> I mean, I had, look, I had no idea how this thing was going to go, you know? I mean, I thought we, we could very easily be under a pile of rocks right now. Um, in fact, I was somewhat shocked, you know, uh, at, at all the attention that it got. But when I, you know, when, I, when we were putting the brief together... The one thing that I absolutely insisted upon, and, and I and you know, and I had a debate at my office about this. I said there is absolutely no way we are filing this brief without without certain portions of it written in Klingon, which is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, that is kind of a master touch. Uh, I I thought that was that was a very smart decision, and incidentally, Mark, who did the Klingon? Uh, it was it was a joint it was it was a team effort. We we had you know we were working a bit with um, with Bing Translate 
but then of course, you, you know, you, you got to work with your, I mean, with your, with what you have. We, we had some people who spoke fluent Klingon who we just, we made the call that we thought we had the Klingon right enough. And I said, look, we've got to get this thing filed now. Um, and now they're coming back to me yelling at me that my Klingon is not exactly right. And I should have used different episode references and, and nothing made me happier than seeing that. In fact, some blogger wrote a full paragraph on how what, what I came up with as what a Klingon would use for intellectual property law uh, was completely wrong. And That's actually a really good post. Yeah, but his, but his, you know, this is, you know, him saying that I, I probably have the, gr- the grammar wrong and I, and I have the emotion in it wrong. Right. You can, you can file corrections, right? So you can, and I was thinking maybe a one page, uh, you know, instruction to the court that I apologize that my, my Klingon is at an, you know, at an EU A1 level at best, um, you know, of a rank beginner. 26J supplement. Yeah, I mean, well, what, what you would just file is a, is a notice of errata, you know, and, a, and right. And then thinking about this, you know, did I ever think the day as I was sitting there filling in those bubbles to take the LSAT, um, one day I will be trying to figure out what is the proper procedure to file an errata to a motion for an amicus to, to for leave to file an amicus brief because I got my Klingon grammar wrong. Okay. Um, I, I want to bring Christoph in on this. Uh, Sai said that this was actually um, your idea initially to get into this case, right? Well, I, I don't actually don't know if it was actually my idea, but I think I did point it out that uh, Klingon was, was in this case, and I did say, is there something that we can do? Like, you've been working, you and Sai have both been working with Mark to get this uh, thing put together. What what are your thoughts about the the, the reaction and what, what not? Well, I must say the reaction completely surprised me. Uh, Sai had warned me and had warned us that we would have a, 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 a lot of press coverage. And I thought, well, yeah, right. I've seen Mark's brief before. For what it's worth, <laughs> I I do roughly what to expect. What to expect? Those who accept uh, those who know David Peterson. Uh, so I I thought uh, I didn't think there would be that much coverage. It really it really took me completely by surprise, and I was surprised that at how uh, positive the coverage was. I, I I was expecting more of a backlash on the. Uh, Right. On the idea that conlangs in cannot be copyrightable. But it seems like a lot of people are agreeing, including, uh, Mark, I think you've mentioned that uh, a lot of lawyers are agreeing with our position, right? Yeah, so uh, that's, that's most of the feedback that. I'm getting. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I can't hear Mark. I can ask, you know, why does it matter? But. If you put the wisdom of crowds together, usually you come to the right answer. And it, it seems like the IP bar is on our side. Yeah, and, and I, myself, I, I was additionally just surprised at how, how many people found this interesting. You know, I'm, uh, I mean, I write stuff like this all the time. And uh, the, the last time I got some attention like this was in the Glenn Beck case, which <laughs> had a Star Trek, <laughs> too, because it, 
It was the one time in my career I've been able to cite to Mr. Spock ate my balls, and it actually made sense. <laughs> okay. I was kind of surprised you found that citation to, um, what what was it, um, Judge uh, Thomas's dissent, uh, where he said, he actually said in an opinion, Klingon has no word for deference. Yes. <laughs> that was mm. hilarious. Hey, guys, my connection is degrading, so I think I'm going to drop off now and go make all right. my dinner. Yeah, all right, that's fine. Sai uh, and Christoph and I will keep on this conversation. But uh, All right, gentlemen, take care, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch yes, as and, things and develop. And thanks for your, and thanks for your insight, Mark. Okay. I'm all delighted. Right. Bye. Kapla. Kapla. Okay, I need to – or kapla. <laughs> It's very difficult to pronounce things in Klingon. Yeah, it's an African. Uh, so, okay. So we've got... Uh, so uh, Mark just left us. Sai and Christoph, you're still here. Um, yes. So the, the press reaction has been good. There are a few things that um, are... Uh, you know, we have a few journalists who are a little bit confused about things, but... Uh, Generally, we have a lot of positive reactions, right? For what it's worth, uh, I've uh, dealt with some uh, some cases in uh, my work with Make Your Laws where uh, there were a couple of things that got a lot of press attention. And the amount to which the press has gotten things right uh, in this case is actually really good um there's a few things that they don't quite uh all get correct like there's some that think that the lcs is a group of trekkies or that we're suing paramount or uh that the case is just about the klingon language thing when it's actually got this huge huge list of other infringements that paramount is claiming but the fundamental core the actual essence of the argument about why a common line should not be copyrightable, they've all been getting pretty much spot on. And that, I think, is the important part. And I think that's actually really uh, good, considering that it's kind of a really weird legal issue. Um, I agree. Um, I, I'm still a little bummed out that some people, some journalists, think think that we are nothing but our conlang uh, studying group or a bunch of a bunch of trekkies. So let me say on record, on record, we are not Star Trek fans. At least I uh, I am not what you would call a trekkie person. Well, I mean, not not defined. I by think it. our audience. Kn- there there may be members who are trekkers. I, I think our audience knows what the LCS is. Uh, but yeah, definitely there were some, uh, some, uh, I think a lot of that is headline writing and such. People just sort of try to say, oh, it's Star Trek fans are saying that, uh, but, uh, a lot of it is also just like confusion. Like the, the guy who wrote the vice piece, uh, who I got in touch with, uh, for a correction, um, initially described the LCS as a group that studies conlangs. Uh, and so I correct him. I, I let him know that no, I actually kind of promote the, the craft of commenting itself. We, we, we're the ones who make 
the languages, uh, not study the ones that other people make. Um, but that's a, a, you know, it's a hard leap for most people to make because most people don't think, oh, you can make a language and that like is not a thing for just these crazy few people who are super amazing at it. Um, but there's actually a group devoted to promoting that craft. In fairness, that's not something that most people would jump to. And I think actually it speaks to the evolution of press uh, and sort of popular understanding of conlanging just in the last few years, especially with uh, David Peterson's work, um, that a lot of the press actually did get that right, where they did understand that word that right online game um that's something you wouldn't have seen like a decade ago even five years ago i think the press would have been uh different if this kind of case had uh, already uh come up and we'd participated this would have been completely mm -hmm. different right uh, people are a little bit more savvy and uh to be frank you know for someone out on the outside i can see that Uh, some people who are promoting the the uh, creation of conlangs that our legal position would be odd for someone who's who's promoting the craft if if they didn't know everything about us because um, you expect artists to want to be able to protect our work and I think conlangers as conlangers we do kind of want to be able to protect our work. But uh, the LCS, as I understand it, as we have, you know, looked at this, we found that really the um, particularly copyright, but other uh, IP laws, too, at least in the U.S., are not that useful for protecting conlangs. Or I think it's more accurate. They go too far. Right. Like if we had moral rights, as in the EU. That would probably be a pretty good case. But copyright means you have total control of everything you could possibly say in the language, and that's just going way too far. Yeah, I would, I would like to add something. I also think that we are actually protecting language creators because if uh, it was uh, found that conlangs could be copyrighted, My fear is what I always call the uh, law of unintended consequences, that you have to, to, to look at what would that mean. When a work is copyrighted, generally it means that pieces of it are also copyrighted. What would that mean for language? Can you, could you copyright then a grammar structure? If you, if you read somebody, uh, something that somebody did in a conlang and think, oh, that's a neat uh, feature, let me try it on my conlang, would I be infringing then? That would a whole bit of, of, of complication and that could that would be a, that would cause very bad consequences for the conlanguage craft in itself. Right. And this podcast could uh, come under litigation a, a little bit because um, you know, we probably wouldn't be in too much danger because we're doing commentary and stuff, but I have had um, uh, I've had people send me Um, greetings in Quenya and you know the Tolkien estate has a lot of lawyers I think I actually have Quenya on my logo written in Tengwar so you know that's 
that's that's a separate thing from what could uh, happen to Conlangers. Now, if you're talking and if you're talking about Conlangers, okay, if you're trying to if you try to say that okay, a grammatical structure is copyrighted, and then you have another Conlanger, it's not even that it would necessarily they would necessarily fail, but it's just like another avenue. It's an avenue where individual conlangers could end up being sued. And whether, whether or not the argument would be valid is, is another issue entirely. It's just, you know, being sued in the first place is a big problem, whether or not the case is good. I mean, let's be realistic. If, if, if someone gets a, like a nasty gram from Paramount or from the Tolkien estate uh, saying, stop doing this or we maybe will sue you. What's going to happen? Of course they're going to stop because, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't have a lawyer like Mark um, to protect them. Um, So that's part of why we're doing this is to try to set a precedent so that it doesn't, it's not something that, people have to defend against in the future. Uh, there's arguments you can make that, for instance, uh, with, with you uh, and Conlangery with the theories of Quenya, that even if that were copyrighted, then you're, right. you would be engaging in fair use uh, because you're using snippets for criticism and academic study and so forth, and that's fair use and that's protected. Mm-hmm. But fair use is what's called an affirmative defense. Uh, you have to it's something where they do own the copyright and you say, okay, yes, you own the copyright and normally I wouldn't be allowed to do this, but I am allowed to do this in this circumstance because I have this excuse. That's what fair use means. Whereas we're saying you don't even have it to begin with, so you can't claim anything. Right, and the the thing about fair use is, yes, it's a defense, which means – that I would have to like bring that up as a defense in court against a lot of uh, uh, scary legal legal machinery that those estates can can leverage. So that's you know that's what I mean by it opens up opportunities for people to sue or like you know if someone creates a conlang and is borrowing words from Quenya or from Klingon and such, you know. You could say, okay, if this actually went to court, it probably wouldn't get. It would probably you would probably be able to use fair use as a defense. But most con layers don't have the resources to go up against Paramount or the Tolkien Estate or all those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christoph, you you were about to say something, and I think I cut you off. Yeah, no, that's basically that's exactly what I was saying, especially in the in the U.S. Uh, the the court system is uh, very much skewed towards p- people who have a lot of money, and uh, <laughs> usually don't. That's as simple as that. So I think by uh, if we could get that precedent, if we could make it uh, 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 clear through a court that conlangs per se are uh, on uh, by themselves can't be copyrighted, that would be a huge win for conlangers themselves, whether whether they realize it or not. It means that they don't they lose well they lose they never had a way to control their own creations but at least they can't be sued for their own creation and it's not that you can't control for instance your description like someone can't rip off 
John Quixada's Ithquil website and just repost the website and slap their name on it. That would be clearly copyright violation. Right. He wrote that. But they can certainly write new sentences in Ithquil, uh, and that's protected, or they can make a spin-off version, or if John died and, like, failed to maintain his grammar very well or his website went down or something, someone could publish a new thing that re-describes it um, in right. their own words. I think uh, throughout the whole thing, we've always said that, you know, a grammar is a fixed work that's clearly under copyright, The like the grammar description document. The the dictionary, it's a little iffy because there's a question of um, uh, there's some some things that are totally protected with um, you know the the arrangement and the the um, the individual definitions can be protected, but maybe not if there's not many other ways to say it. Um, yeah, that's like if there's creativity in how you describe the definition of a word. Um, like, for instance, the OED, uh, if you look up its entry for language, for instance, it'll list a bunch of senses that the word has, but then it'll describe those senses in a particular way, and somebody put some thought into that, and there's creativity that goes into that. And you could describe it in a different way. So OED has copyright of the way they expressed the definition of the word language. They do not have copyright of the definitions like, of the word like language. Like if someone can describe the same definition in a different way, then that's fine. And that's how natural language dictionaries work, and there's no reason to say conlang should be any different. I want to um, talk a little bit about these the the moral rights thing because that's I know it gets a little bit murky. It doesn't figure into U.S. law very much, but over um, over in Europe, as like especially in France, you have moral rights, and it's there's there's more of a strict idea of uh, an artist can claim that can can uh, require attribution. Right. Um, I can talk about that a little. I'm uh, not completely up to date with how it is in France, but I know that in the Netherlands it's 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 similar. Is that when when you create some something, you have uh, basically a moral right to be uh, uh, recognized as its creator. It means mm-hmm. two main things: is indeed the right of attribution. But also another right is that people are not allowed to use your creation to make you look bad, basically. And that can be anyways, but that can be, uh, for instance, uh, misquoting you or quoting you in a way that makes you sound different than, uh, than what, you, what you meant, uh, basically uh, cutting up quotes mm-hmm. uh, in a way that they make you sound like you're saying the opposite of what you meant. This kind of thing. I'm not completely up to date on whether this is also valid for things that wouldn't normally fall under what uh, what U.S. copyright is. So if you have uh, this kind of droit moral on things that are not copyrighted, because that's the, there's a 
think that the, those um, um, those laws have gotten closer to uh, U.S. law thanks to the different conventions like the Berne Convention. So I'm not completely sure how uh, different authors write what we call it uh, in over in, in 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 Europe. How nowadays authors write are different from copyright. I know that there are things like uh, the the fact that copyright can be transferred while authors write in principle cannot. You 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 can license someone to 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 use your stuff, but you can never just give it away. You cannot lose the right to use the stuff you you create. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, Sai, I think you have you had something to say on this subject too. Yeah. So in the U.S., um, there's a couple different ways that you can approach this. Uh, there's copyright, which uh, is is actually not a single right; it's a, a bundle of rights to control copying basically, copying, distribution, display, etc., derivative works, things like that. Um, There's trademark, which uh, protects uh, identifying the source of goods and services, uh, is the term that's used. Um, So basically, if McDonald's spends a bajillion dollars to promote a particular brand, you don't get to have a restaurant called McDonald's because then people might think it's the real thing and you would be basically profiting off of their work building the brand. Uh, and that's not just McDonald's. You also don't get to make your own thing called the Language Creation Society because we work to build this brand. So uh, we have trademark on uh, that name. Um, and that neither of these needs to be registered, um, though you can register a copyright or a trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and that just gives you some legal bonuses. Um, but then this notion of what's called droit moral, or moral rights, is in U.S. law, it's really, really narrow. There's one statute which is called uh, the Visual Artists' Rights Act uh, at 17 U.S. Code, Section 106A. And that actually is pretty similar to the European concept of moral rights, but it only covers authors of visual art, uh, which more or less means paintings. Um, But for those people, they do have the right to claim authorship uh, to uh, prevent their name being on something that they didn't make to uh, prevent their name being on something that they think is an excessive like distortion of their work that would <laughs> uh, be, quote, prejudicial uh, to their honor or reputation or other sort of things like that, basically mangling the, the nature of the work. Uh, and that's really kind of the, the idea that's behind the the European notion of moral rights. But in the U.S., we only have it in this one statute, and it only applies to, quote, visual art. Um, which which conlangs are not really. So... Not really, no. Like, you, you could... I could see an argument for, say, tapestry uh, being a work of visual art in this definition, uh, because um, his... His uh, his writing is 
like art grade calligraphy, really. Um, and so from that point of view, if you view it not as writing, but as art, then you can maybe have a claim like this. Uh, this is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. Um, but maybe. Uh, but as writing, not so much. Yeah. So in short, this is kind of the thing that we might want for Con Lang's because yeah. copyright is too too much. You just you just end up, you know, being able to stifle anybody ever being able to use the the uh the the conlang and it's not it's it's just too blunt an instrument. Exactly. These this moral rights stuff, that's kind of what we would like to have, but we can't you can't really apply that to conlangs in the US unless it's you know conlang based calligraphy or something. Because it's just not available in the US. Yeah. Like that's just not the state of the law right now. Um, if if we did have moral rights in the U.S., I think the LCS probably would back uh, Conlang's falling within that. Yeah. It just isn't an option. Yeah. And sadly, you know, we don't really have the clout to, to lobby for new laws. So we kind of <laughs> are stuck with that. Maybe someday. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> so that's... I think I think we've sort of summarized the the position we have he, the that the LCS has in terms of uh, of we don't think that copyright is the right tool and we've made the argument that the system of the conlang itself so like the the words and the grammar of the conlang you can't copyright and I think. In the Denton's memo, there's also arguments about trademark, which is kind of, eh, maybe you can, maybe you might be able to trademark certain things, or you could do a trade dress thing. And then the patent uh, is like, uh, it has to be useful and it has to be novel, and good luck trying to make a conlang that's like that. So. That's actually original, like not, not just artistically original, but original in terms of like its mechanics, maybe an Angelanger might be able to claim that, but good luck, and also you have to file for a patent within a year of it being published now that's a re relatively recent change and so forth. Like, I could imagine a hypothetical scenario where you might be able to get an enforceable patent on some method of conlanging that's, like, actually novel, but for Artlangs, uh, no. <laughs> is the simple version. And tra trade dress is sort of... I mean, uh, Paramount is not actually claiming a trademark infringement uh, or trade dress right. infringement, we from what I can recall of, of their complaint. They're they're claiming copyright infringement. Right. Um, and there is this thing. Well, but th there is this thing in U.S. In US law, and, and obviously we're not taking a position on this too much, so I'm just going to sketch it. Um, but th there is a thing in U.S. law that does exist, which is, uh, I think it's called the substantial similarity test, where you can have copyright sort of to a story if it's original enough. So if I were to make a new version of, well, I was going to think like A Christmas Carol, but that's in public domain by now, uh, but 
some story that um, Harry Potter, for instance, um, and I, I made just a version of that where I just changed all the names of the characters uh, and maybe I rewrote all the chapters, but basically the plot is entirely the same. Uh, I could probably get sued for that. Well, I, let me rephrase that. I could probably lose a lawsuit. Right. You can always get sued. Um, <laughs> uh, you can, you can get sued that. for anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah. question so is... The, the question is who who wins. Right. Um, so, th- so legitimately, that is a thing in U.S. law. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a very simple test at all. Um, if you read case law um, opinions that delve into uh, this kind of thing, they look like basically literary criticism theses where they're going element by element, like how similar are the plots, how similar are the characters, what features do the characters have? Yeah. Uh, has Is this like a trope that has appeared in previous uh stories uh etc it's it's a complex question um and that is basically the meat of the case this this klingon language thing is kind of a side point uh to the to the meat of the case right and like what language you use is probably not going to figure a big what languages are used in the script are not probably not going to be a big factor in that part of copyright if you're talking about a look and feel sort of thing. That's really hard to say because it's never come up before. Um, right? Like, I mean, this, this whole look and feel notion, there's an argument to be made there. And, uh, you know, I think both Paramount and Axonar have really actually quite good arguments. And me personally, I'm really curious to see how it's going to take turn out mm-hmm. um but we're not as the lcs we're not taking a position we're, we're the um, yeah the lcs is only concerned about the la- the the language stuff right we exactly. don't we don't really want to get involved in all the other stuff because i think uh the the community has varying opinions on the general you know the the overarching aspect of the case aspects of the case of you know all the other copyright claims that paramount is making and this look and feel sort of stuff um so and it's not really in the lcs's interest to get involved in that stuff well it's just not what it's, it's just not what we're about right we're we're about promoting the art and craft of language creation and secondarily part like helping particular conlangs in, in general. We're not really about whether you can make a uh, film in set in the Star Trek universe. Like, that just isn't within our scope. Um, so it's not really any of our right. Um It's interesting. Uh, it might be useful to understand sort of how the copyright law applies to that, just to understand sort of the context of the case. Um, but that's not really what we're focusing on. Right. So um, I think we need to uh, wrap things up. I think we've made sort of the, the, the position that the, I think the position that the LCS has made is clear and I'll let listeners sort of uh, form their own opinions. But I think actually, and yes, I am vice president of the LCS, so I'm not, 
a totally uninterested party in this. I think that uh, we did the right thing by filing this brief and trying to get a precedent to say, no, you can't copyright a conlang itself. Because copywriting a conlang is just going to be too broad and too powerful. And I think it would actually stifle creativity in conlanging. Uh, because it, it, it just, it opens up too many possibilities that, that, uh, conlangers would be afraid to do certain things for fear of being sued. And people who are, who would be promoting conlangs might not want to do certain things for fear of being sued. Like, you know, you have David Salo wrote, uh, a gateway to Sindarin. If, if, the Tolkien estate had copyright on Sindarin, the language itself, he probably wouldn't really be able to to do that book, even though it's a really good thing that, you know... I think Salo had an arrangement with... with oh, okay. Um, so he, he okay, so that's... That, but see, you still have the issue of, should he have to... Ask the estate, should he, shouldn't he be able to just do that independently? Okay, well, and that's work? that's actually the question, okay, is that we have had in the past all these these ad hoc arrangements. Yeah, he did make an agreement with the estate, and the Klingon Language Institute has made their own deals with Paramount, where Paramount gives them, quote-unquote, a license. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, should they have to? And should any random person who wants to study a particular conlang and write up descriptions of it have to contact the original creator and get things worked out? I don't think it should. We at the LC, at the LCS we keep making this uh, uh, call when we contact when we talk to others about uh, uh, constructed languages that there is in principle nothing. To, uh, that uh, distinguishes uh, a conlang from an, uh, a language that occurred, quote-unquote, naturally in the world, that there is nothing in the uh, nature itself of the language that tells us, oh, that's, a, a, that's an artificial language, that's, quote-unquote, not a real language, compared to a language like English, French, Spanish, Japanese, etc. We can... Mm-hmm. We, we, keep making that claim. If we make that claim, then we need to go all. Uh, we need to make it for all cases. So wh- whether it is about the nature of the language, but also about who's allowed to use it. And right. if we start making a distinction about uh, a, a natural language, anybody can use it, anybody can study it, anybody can write about it. But for a constructed language, we're saying, oh, no, but uh, you need to... Uh, uh, the creator needs to have the, 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 the right to control exactly what can be said in the language, then you're starting making distinctions that don't exist, that mm-hmm. are not... And imagine if you had to ask l'Académie Française before publishing uh, like some poetry in French to make sure that it uses approved French and uh, is... Yeah, I'm not. pretty sure the Academy would love that. <laughs> 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 that would be uh, basically uh, 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 the death of the French language. Yeah. And that's a, that's a thing. Actually, a big part of the value of the conlangs would would 
would go away because if you think about, um, you know, uh, this is happens a lot with uh, David's work. Um, it's with um, with Klingon too. People contact Mark Okren for all kinds of things for all of David's languages. You see him on Tumblr always. You know, people are asking him for translations of uh, things in Dothraki and Trigetisling. And it would be really sad if one of his employers could just like say, no, you can't, you can't just interact with fans that way. We have to control what can be said in this, in the language we're, we're commissioning for you, you to, you to create. That would, that would not be good. And it would take away some of the value of those languages because the fans participating in trying to learn those languages is actually valuable to the people who commissioned them in the first place. For sure. If you look at the Navi community and the Dothraki community, they're, um, you know, they're very, very involved. Mm -hmm. And that created an actual basis for Avatar the movie and for Game of Thrones that they wouldn't necessarily have if they had said, oh, well, you know, you don't get to talk about the language without our blessing or you don't get to write stuff in the language without our blessing. And we'd be deprived of the lovely Klingon style uh, music videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and in the end, let's be uh, uh, honest about it. What we are creating are uh, systems or means of, of communication. That's what language is, basically. Even if we treat it like a work of art, like a, a piece of art in and of itself, it's in the end uh, something made, meant to be used for people to communicate with. If people are starting to use it to communicate, whether it is by uh, writing their own sentences or uh, uh, whatever, whatever they are doing, and we say, no, don't do that, then why are we creating our conlangs? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, yeah. Um, I can understand that some people have difficulties with that because their language is a very personal thing. And in this case, I completely agree that the main thing that we, we need to do is to say, to say, to tell people, please try to, uh, if uh, a, spe- a specific author of a language says, I'd rather have other people not use my language. Well, um, in the immortal words of Will Wheaton, uh, don't be a dick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's actually something I was trying to come around to is like, we're all talking about like what the, the law should do here. There is sort of a general just idea of politeness and, and ethics of saying, okay, like, for Conlangery, I do commentary on Conlangs. Even if a Conlang was copyrightable, my stuff would be fair use. But now, you know, when I when we feature a Conlang on this on this show, I do generally try to c- contact the creators beforehand, and I don't really ask for permission. More that more that I ask for them to participate because it would be nice for you know people to come on and talk about their own languages. But if they say to me up front. I don't want you to talk about my language on the show, then I, we spike it. We do something else. Because, you know, I don't want to... 
uh, I've had we we actually early on the show we had uh, issues with that of not contacting a creator uh, beforehand, and they ended up saying they didn't really want their language and they were mad about it. So I thought, you know, it's better to contact people beforehand just as politeness. And l- let's be realistic. That's how it goes, right? Like. Nobody sues over conlangs except for Paramount um, <laughs> and and Loglon Lojban back in the day. Like this is the second case ever to involve a conlang. That's the, the the legal aspect is interesting. It affects mainly not so much you know your your average conlanger as people interacting with a conlang that someone with a lot of money like Paramount. Uh, has gotten involved in um, because they're not going to send a lawyer after you. They're just going to send you an email to say, you know, could you please knock it off or could you please do this differently or give me credit or take my name off of that. I don't want to be associated. And the social aspect of just being nice to each other, that's how the vast, vast majority of it gets handled. It's not really a legal matter most of the time. And so what we're we're dealing with is when it becomes a legal matter or when it might uh, have a, a threat of a legal action attached, um, we want to protect that. Yeah. And even if there was a case, people people bring this up in, in the discussion about this, uh, the, they'll say, oh, what if someone takes my conlang and puts it into their own fictional work and writes new sentences in the conlang? We're saying that that's not legally protectable. But, yeah, that's definitely sort of a dick move. And uh, people should be criticized for that, but... Uh, giving you the right to shut them down based on that opens up too many other possibilities that could be damage, damaging in the long run. Exactly. And if you take a look at Mark's work in general, um, you know, there's he, he's a First Amendment lawyer, so he he he's sort of for freedom of speech in general. And you know, if if you look at some of the clients he's defended. A bunch of them are assholes, frankly, um, or they're uh, or the other way around. Like they're um, you're trying to defend against someone who's saying that you're an asshole mm-hmm. um, and you're not. But in the U.S., you have a right to do that. Um, you you know, not everything that's rude should be illegal. Mm-hmm. There, there's a huge step up. From saying, look, you know, there there should be cultural or social um, reprobation for something because it's rude, um, and there should be social consequences from, for that. Right. To saying then, oh, there should be legal consequences, as in maybe this is going to cost you a few tens of thousands of dollars, and maybe you'll go to jail. Those are hugely different things. Right. Yeah. So I think I think uh, we've sort of uh, made the the uh, the whole case clear. 
I would love to see everybody join the discussion in the comments. Everybody who's on this podcast is on the same side. So I welcome people to, you know, talk from from other angles if they have other, you know, if they disagree with us on certain points. But but um, I think this is this has been a really good discussion and has gives us sort of gave us sort of the opportunity to to give this position and. I try to not have Con Langry be affiliated with the LCS, but yes, I am vice president, and Kristoff is the president, and Sai Sai is a, a director. Um, so yeah, uh, our our bias is 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 plainly visible on this episode, but um, but I think we've had a pretty good discussion, and um, the last one last thing I want to get out before we go. Nothing in this show should be construed as legal advice. We are not lawyers. Mark is a lawyer, but he's not your lawyer. So if you if you get involved in any uh, any uh, conline copyright um, legal actions in, in in the in the unlikely case that that happens, then please contact a lawyer. Uh, well, contact us. Maybe we can help. Well, LCS might be able to help out too. We, we might. We we have connections with some lawyers that are willing to work for free. So, uh, <laughs> so you can contact the LCS. And if you haven't yet, um, this this so the the discussion we had sort of gives an overview, but it really does not do justice to the brief. So if you have not read the amicus brief that Mark wrote, seriously, go read it. It is not only one of the funniest legal writings that I have ever read and that's saying something it is a really good argument both about IP law and sort of an impassioned defense of conlangs as language right um, it's an it's just outright an excellent right. read uh, and do read it yeah yeah the, that will be uh, link to in the show notes. Definitely do read it. Don't think that this is going to be some dry legal document because he cited he oh, cited no. um, he cited Star Trek episodes with star dates. There's a lot of Klingon, and um, somehow he managed to you know harass his um, his uh, the the legal brief uh, template into accepting uh, a Klingon font. So, so it's, um, uh, so there's, you know, Klingon written in the, uh, frankly, I think a terrible writing system that, uh, that the, that the, the TV shows use. But anyway, it's fun. And it's not just random. It's not just, you know, for funsies, even though it is hilarious, but, you know, Mark's making a serious point with that is, which is, you know, you can use Klingon without permission. He didn't ask Paramount for permission before putting that in, and he's using it to make a point. He's using the language creatively, right? Showing that you can be creative with the language, uh, and that is the whole argument, which is what makes right. It All right, so if nobody has any, does anybody have any last thoughts? We just want to wrap this up. I don't, Christoph. 
Um, just for the last, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but given that our uh, audience here is mostly conlangers, I just want to make it clear again that it's our position is not just to protect people who use conlangs, but also to protect those who create them. And uh, the argument's going on, but I just want to, to repeat that so that uh, people can't uh, 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 say that we've forgotten, forgotten who we are uh, uh, supposed to uh, root for. We are, mm -hmm. we are doing that to uh, help uh, uh, to uh, promote the art of uh, and craft of language creation and to help those who create them. Mm -hmm. languages yeah and i think we've covered how at least we believe that the lcs position helps conlangers so yes yeah so uh with all that i'm gonna say read the read the amicus brief uh keep your eyes peeled uh for news about the the um it's paramount versus axonar the the case uh Read our, our legal memo. That's that's uh, good to read, too. It's a little bit more formal and drier, but it's it's good to get the ideas. And broader. Hmm? The memo goes into patents and trademark, which uh, the, co the copyright... Right, yeah, it it has a lot more more uh, information, yeah, on, on all the other IPs and stuff. And uh, uh, I, I look forward to seeing the comments. I'm sure that'll be... A, it'll be a, a great discussion on this episode. So, uh, with all that, I'm just going to say happy conlanging. Yeah, lingua. Kapla. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus and on Tumblr now. All of those you just find conlangery. Our web space is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our theme music is by Null Device. And our new site was designed by Bianca Richards. <laughs>